0: episode of the russians today we're joined by anya bernstein who's a professor of anthropology at harvard uh today we want to talk about her book a uh, great book uh, the future of immortality which is about uh sort of generally the the cosmist, the cosmist movement in russia and in the soviet union uh cosmism is a, something that yevgeny and i have been interested in for a long time and so we're glad that anya is joining us uh, today to talk about it uh, welcome
1: thanks for having me hi Hi. Yeah, it was uh, kind of <laughs> many months <laughs> in the making.
0: Yeah, many months in the making. I, I hope you're feeling better because I know you you were sick, um, and um, so pre- we appreciate you talking to us.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry,
2: I had COVID for almost a month for the first time, and with all my travel, I finally caught it in Cambridge. So,
0: Canada, Cambridge, huh?
2: Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and, and so did it. Was it the what did you get? Kind of the long, longish COVID or the long COVID or. Was it the short COVID? What kind of COVID was
2: it? It was a longish COVID that was almost a month, which I really did not expect. Wow,
0: wow, That's it's horrible.
2: I've been traveling all over the place, and I was fine, so I was thinking that I was kind of invincible. But now here you go.
0: <laughs> so, um, I guess let me just dive into it, and you yeah. know, with the with the question you probably get, you know, frequently uh, about the book, and I mean, how did you get interested in the topic, and you know, and why you decided to write this book? Because it's a, you know, it's a sort of a fringe. Um, um, but very interesting, but a fringe topic. and How did you get into it?
2: Yeah, you know, like it was a lot of project that was kind of serendipitous. I've been working on something different before. I've been working on Buddhism uh, before in in Buriate, which is southern Siberia, and also in India. But at some point when I was doing this research, I came across a body of a Buddhist lama. You might have heard of him. His name is Itigelov, who died, but his body did not decompose. They exhumed him, installed him in a kind of a shrine, and it became the center of local Buddhism. And... The local Buryats uh, were so proud of him that they called him our uh, Buryat Lenin. I mean, they said it kind of tongue in cheek, of course, uh, because they claimed that their Lama was better than Lenin because Lenin was preserved, <laughs> you know, through science, so it was a miracle of science, uh, and their Lama was a real religious miracle. And I was thinking about this. I decided to read a book about the preservation of the body of Lenin, and um, a few things kind of stuck out at me. I mean, first. When Lenin died, they didn't really know what to do with his body. A special commission was created called the Immortalization Commission, and it first was proposed that Lenin's body be frozen. Eventually, that was rejected in the favor of embalming. But what the book that I read was claiming, and now it's arguable, you know, some people there's just not enough historical evidence, but there was this uh, claim that a lot of the people surrounding the embalming of Lenin were interested in the philosopher Nikolai Fyodorov, who is considered mm-hmm. sort of retroactively, uh, retrospectively the founder of Russian cosmism, which is not quite the case, but I'll get into that the terminology later. So, yeah, um, so that was one thing. And the other that was interesting, and when I was uh, writing my book, I wrote a very long footnote on that and sort of forgot about this for a while. That's my Buddhist book. And the second discovery happened when I was teaching. I was teaching for two years before Harvard at the University of Michigan, and I was asked to develop a course on anthropology of death, which is kind of a staple subject in our discipline, You know, from early anthropological research to say burial rituals to contemporary studies like the one I did in Siberia. And when I was researching issues related to death, I came across an article about American cryonics. You know, the practice of freezing dead bodies and liquid nitrogen for future reanimation, as they say. And first, it struck me as pretty extreme, but also fascinating. The article argued that cryonics is a distinctly American practice that only exists mm-hmm. in the US because it is like buying insurance against death. It speaks the language of this particularly American libertarianism, the language of investment, insurance, capitalism. And um, that made sense to me. But at the same time as I was doing research for my class, I discovered uh, just through Googling something in Russian that that the only country except the US where they had the second cryonics company was Russia. And it was recent, it was only founded in 2006. So uh, at that point, I knew about Fedorov and I knew about the Russian cryonics. So I decided that there is something there. So I went to Russia and I first met the Cryonicists who were part of the larger transhumanist movement that we also have in the U.S. But then I also met the followers of Fedorov, which was a completely separate movement, although they're constantly in conversation. And so the, these conversations really fascinated me and that's where that's how I started this.
0: Would mm-hmm. you say that they're in conversation or in conflict these two groups? Yeah. Because in in your in your book is they're kind of they have um, I guess we can get into it a little bit later but you know the sort of the um, the postmodernists and the and the and, and the filter and no, no no postmodernists what? no did I say postmodernists yeah. the uh, post post no post-humanist. uh, postmodernists same thing posthumanist postmodernist tra- yeah
2: transhumanists right
1: because we can talk <laughs>
0: transhumanist exactly
2: because posthumanism is something else which we can talk
1: exactly, about. exactly exactly. Wait, I thought that transhumanists are actually in conflict, as you wrote, with posthumanism.
2: Right, exactly. So transhumanism and posthumanism are just two completely different things. And right, which posthumanism is a more of an academic movement, or academic school of thought that's very prominent in cultural studies, even in anthropology. You know, it's more about discentering the humans. It's a critique of humanism. It's a purely academic mm-hmm. thing. Whereas transhumanism is a social movement. So mm-hmm. they have a very, you know, there's, they have very different uh, ideology, actually, these transhumanism mm-hmm. and posthumanism, whereas Fedorovians have more in common with transhumanists, but they disagree on a few key issues. So you would say, um, I call them immortalists, right, Uh, which Mm -hmm. is a Russian term that existed since the early 20th century, immortalism, right, immortalism. And under this umbrella, I could talk in my book about both transhumanists and Fedorovians and speak about the commonalities and the differences and some of the case studies I describe in the book kind of bring it to, um, you know, bring it to the forefront,
0: yeah, okay, well, I mean, you know, because this is, maybe we, get, maybe we can start a little bit more, like, basic, you know, so who's the, you know, who's this guy, Fyodorov, and, you know, who, and why is he credited with, with founding this, this movement, you know, that people refer to as Cosmism now? Who is right. he, and where does he come from?
2: Yeah, first, so first in Fyodorov, and then in Cosmism, which appeared quite a bit later as as a kind of, you know, I wouldn't want to say that it's a created movement, but I'll speak about this in a second. So Fedorov was an interesting character. He was, um, he was uh, you know, born in 1928 uh, or oh, 1929, according to some sources, and he already died in 1903. And he was a kind of legendary sort of ascetic who led this ascetic lifestyle. He worked in the library, you know, which is now the, uh, the main state library at the time. And he was, uh, he fa- fascinated a lot of famous personality. Tolstoy was interested in him. So Vladimir Solovyov, the Russian religious philosopher, was interested in him. Dostoevsky was supposedly interested in him, but they weren't in direct contact. So he um, really um, was the philosopher of one idea. And it was not actually mortality. It was the most important idea of of uh, further of is resurrection of ancestors and the mm-hmm. way uh, that we should use science and technology to um, actually attain this goal. So immortality for him is not something that he was not interested in, but he thought this should come later. So the resurrection of ancestors, a kind of duty, it's, it was a kind of redemption project that's a lot more complicated than even transhumanism or how Photoshop is sometimes is portrayed. So that was his main idea. And the, the way that it would happen, according to him, is that each generation would be responsible for resurrecting their parents and then they resurrect their parents and all the way down to the first humans. And it's only at that point that we could talk about immortality. Mm -hmm. Russian cosmism, on the other hand, um, as a term, was created around the 70s, and a few... Scientists such as Vladimir Vernadsky, uh, Alexander Chizhevsky, Zalkovsky, who were quite different, but they also took some religious philosophers such as pa- Pavel Florensky, Vladimir Solovyov, and they kind of put them together and it, at, at this retroactively created philosophical schools that they called Russian Cosmism. But it's been argued by some of the scholars of this, um, of this movement, of which there are quite a few people in Russia working on it. And I kind of agree with that, that Russian cosmism is not so much cosmic, although it is about exploration of space, that's a prominent idea, but it's really about evolution. And the idea that humans, um, it's about a meaningful kind of universe, and the idea that humans... Are the main drivers of evolution that humans can take evolution in their own hands and uh, progress to the next level? And it's a very, and again, this is the difference with post humanism Russian cosmism is quite an anthropocentric movement because it's really about the future of the human. Right. It's not so much. Uh, it's not so much about a critique of humanism, or it's not so much about discentering the humans. It's about thinking of humans' roles role in the in the universe, roughly speaking. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's funny because it's because it, it seems like it's sort of you know, cosmism is almost like if you take I don't, I don't know, in, in, industrialization or sort of industrial ideology, you know, and, and like. And, you know, projected all the way to, to the very end, it just seems like that's what you kind of get, right? Like, it's just cosmism of the human as a sort of all-powerful uh, kind of being that can uh, not only change the course of, you know, um, sort of uh, of nature, right? But also change the course of themselves and their own sort of future and, and evolution, right? Sort it of completely, is, is, is and because it does kind of come out of... Come at a time. It seems like to me, it comes at a time when the belief in the power of technology and the power of um, industrialism rec- is sort of is almost unbounded. It's almost magical, and there's a belief in it. You know. Uh, so, d- 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 does it seem like that way to you uh, that it, it cosmism is sort of a I don't know the the extreme version of that
1: of also technological utopianism. Yes, and- the
0: technological utopianism. Yeah,
2: yeah, I would agree with that. It, um- And what what happened when they created this sort of school of thought, you know, through some common themes, and they do have some common themes, although there's, you know, Vernadsky is different from Telkovsky, they're very different from Fedorov, but Fedorov was kind of placed, again, retroactively as a founder of this tradition, because he was really one of the first people talking about how, but he was a religious philosopher, though, so it it should not be forgotten, you know, and he was... uh, an Orthodox Christian philosopher who, you know, heretical in some, you know, in so, uh, according, you know, in, in some, uh, according to some, uh, to some points of view. But he was the first one who uh, said that science and technology could be used, but to achieve a specifically religious goal. Right? He saw it not mm-hmm. so much as humans taking evolution in their own hands. In fact, he saw humans as kind of these. Transitional beings, and maybe that's what they share with transhumanism, that have to be uplifted to the next level. But he saw them as kind of immature, as kind of teenagers. So he wanted this complete remaking of the humans, complete remaking of nature. But all of this is to reach that uh, biblical goal, right, of this deathless state, which he believed was almost. a preordained divine plan and humans Mm -hmm. have to fulfill it, right? So it's not really, to him, it was not contrary to, uh, contrary of, you know, uh, of say Russian Orthodox Christianity, but it's actually what humans were meant to do. So to him, uh, to him, it was not only a redemption project, right? Because it was about resurrection of ancestors, but it's also something that was, uh, divinely sort of ordained for humans.
0: Yeah, I mean, where does he get that? Because it's like, because why, are, where, why is how is a human being sort of su- suddenly playing the role of God or playing the role of this kind of arbiter of who gets to have eternal life? And you know, it's it's it seems like seems like a very heretical uh, position.
1: Yeah, and also I assume, if I remember correctly, he was kind of anti-procreation, so it's all about resurrecting and giving life to those who already lived and denying new life, right?
2: Yeah, he wasn't really anti-procreation, but he did talk about, you know, there's some interesting ideas uh, that, uh, you know, could be even compared to sublimation, because he was saying that the sexual energy could be, uh, you know, that is used for procreation could be channeled to the resurrection of ancestors, right? So it's the same, it's that energy should be channeled to the past, present, to the future. But he wasn't really like... you know, he wasn't like uh, an exponent of the human extinction movement. So you know, not let's not have kids. You know. Right,
0: you know it's funny because he he must have really liked his parents and his grandparents because you know it's like it's such a comic thing to want is like you must now resurrect all your ancestors it's like well some people are you know probably happy that their 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 ancestors are, are are no longer alive you know I mean that's a that's a real that's a real thing you know yeah so it's just it's a it's a it's a funny thing for him I mean I wonder what his relationship was with his with his parents and and his grandparents
2: you know about his about his own family history is really interesting because he was an illegitimate son of a uh, of the uh, of a prince. Gagarin and you know contemporary mm-hmm. Fedorovian take this not as a coincidence but almost as a providential science. You know, they call them the two Gagarins, you know, mm-hmm. Yuri Gagarin and Fedorov, whose real name was Gagarin, coincidentally. Mm. And he had That's a very wow. unstable position in this family. So he was really interested in kinship. He was uh, one day he was, uh-huh. you know, accepted. The other day he wasn't. When he, his uncle died, and he was always concerned and really, you know, I don't want to psychologize, you know, his, his ideas. But at some point he was really interested. In how is it that, that people who were your kin yesterday now are not? So he was really. Uh-huh. He saw. He, his resurrection project as a kinship project, right? You will resurrect Mm -hmm. um, all of the ancestors to restore kinship, not just across space, but also through time, right? That is with the dead. So he had, you know, with all his futurism, he had a very kind of old-fashioned idea, which he called, uh, you know, filial duty. It's almost like something from Chinese philosophy, but he also is using that in his, uh, among his ideas. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a debt, he calls it the Resurrectory debt, which is one of his new. Neolog- I don't know if you've ever read him, but he's full of really interesting neologisms. So he calls he calls it in Russian the долг, so we mm-hmm. which we owe uh, to the ancestors. So he really wanted to uh, he really wanted to pay it back. And, right, and yeah. to your question, to your comment, actually, before I forget. How could he be so heretical as to think that humans would be, um, you know, would do something without God or before God? He kind of thought of this more as a synergistic project, so human that because for him it was a divine plan all along. So humans are just fulfilling what was pre- ord what was what was previewed for them, and if they don't do that, that's where we get into trouble. He thought.
0: Oh wow! So he's saying inaction is sort of what the what the Orthodox Church was doing, which is not doing not not pursuing this plan was the, was the, was
2: where. Yeah, and exactly, and that's why contemporary Fedorovians sometimes call themselves active Christians, like, and they call it active right, yeah. Christianity, because they're not really waiting for resurrection; they're just you know mm-hmm. which would happen after death, in the traditional you know. Dark doctrine uh, but uh, they're doing something about it whereas the passive ones are the ones who are going to die and just wait for it
1: right but but you know i have a question you said that Fyodorov had this kind of vision of divine preordained thing that actually this is always we meant to do that like to resurrect ancestors and all that but then it means that he saw himself As a prophet, so what is his divinity? Like, who gave him this information? So he's like a new prophet, basically, of some sort?
2: I don't think he was, you know, that, uh, you know, full of himself as to call himself a prophet. He really didn't even want to publish anything. He was really reclusive and kind of mysterious. But he did, he was really obsessed with this one idea, right, which he calls the common Mm -hmm. cause or the common task. Yeah on the other hand he was really well versed like he because he was a librarian you know and people came to like Tolstoy would come and hang out with him at the library you know like he would give Tselkovsky met him and mentions him in his autobiography because he gave him some like prohibited books so he was really well versed in the contemporary science you know the science of like 1880s for example so he was like widely read and I don't know if he saw himself as a prophet but he really seemed to believe in this idea Mm-hmm. Some other Got people it. saw him as a prophet, you know, his first, his early disciples and some others mm-hmm. and some contemporary followers, you know, they see him as kind of anticipatory thinkers that, you know, whereas he's talking about things that are quite obscure, but people see that, oh, that's, you know, that's where he like prefigures modern genetics although of course he couldn't have known about genetics and things (laughs) like that so they see him as a prophet not so
1: much himself Uh why do you think soviet union didn't embrace him at all in fact only like later he was kind of like rediscovered and this whole fedorovian society was from what i understand was formed but like the official just like generally during soviet times he was completely his ideas was fully repressed
2: yeah, I think, you know, so first of all, he had some followers, early followers who, you know, both, uh, both direct followers who were, you know, uh, who who knew him and who published his writings. All of his writings actually were published after his death and they were sent to who they thought were influential personalities and they were published with a sticker not for sale. So they did want this to be this kind of non-commercial thing. Then he had another interesting, not he, but there was another interesting movement, which is sometimes, and this is where the word cosmisms appears, sometimes which is confused with Russian cosmos. So there was this leftist movement called Anarchist Biocosmists, who took a lot of Fedorovian ideas but denied it. But it's um, and um, made a kind of ideology out of this, except they put immortality, you know, first. Um, then they put interplanetary travel as the second, and then they put resurrection last. They still kept it because they felt this was important, but maybe not as important as further Earth. And they were the ones who were kind of trying to constantly argue that if, um, that you know, once we achieve, you know, the, the communist ideals of, uh, you know, abolition of you know, human tyranny, private property. We have to go further and we have to, um, you know, abolition, abolish the tyranny of time and space itself. So it was quite a radical and also an esoteric idea. On the other hand, um, some, of the, some of the simplified Fedorovian ideas did, I think, um, you, you know, enter the Soviet project, but they entered them in this very generic and not really Fedorovian form, right? People sometimes think that Fedorov was, you know, responsible for such Soviet, you know, for the Soviet cult of science, for the idea that nature has to be mastered and transformed. So things like that, you know, for the all kind of powerful, um, for the all powerful nature of science and technology, but that's not, He's a lot more subtle and a lot more specific, so, you know. So I can get into these differences. But so I think some of his ideas, although greatly simplified, did enter the Soviet project. Of course, you know, not the idea that you have to abolish death immediately to to realize it, as some people argue. But they were, of course, in the minority.
0: Yeah. I mean, is it, you know, I'm actually curious, because, you know, when I, when I sort of um, we f- first learned about Fyodorov and his ideas, you know, they made a lot more sense, you know, the sort of the re- resurrection project, it made a lot more sense in sort of the context of, I guess, the sort of communist or, you know, Soviet ideology, because... Um, it, it, rather than like sort of the, uh, at least to me, I mean, I guess because his is a very specifically religious idea, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a religious mission to resurrect your ancestors. And uh, uh, but because, you know, under, if you think about, you know, the building, of, so if, if the building of communism, right? You know, it'll take generations. And then as a sort of redemptive thing at the very end. You know, that's when you sort of, the resurrection stuff kicks in and you resurrect everyone who was, you know, worked to build, yeah. gave their life to this project, but didn't get to experience
2: yeah, the thing exactly. itself. And that's what's developed by the biocosmos, by the way, that was one of their major ideas. Um, you know, that's what they were saying by the anarchist biocosmos, which is different from Russian cosmism as, as this kind of umbrella movement, right, uh, of different thinkers. So, um, yeah, so so the biocosmists argued precisely that, that we cannot leave all of these ancestors who, you know, toiled towards this, uh, you know, realm of freedom that comes with communism. It would be unfair if if, if they... if they don't get to enjoy it at some point Fedorov also talked about this but in a lot more he was more in the tradition of you know redemption of history you know there's a term in russian like story, story. it was common in other religious philosophers the idea that if history um you know is this kind of uh is if if the course of history is just kind of you know disaster upon disaster upon disaster then it's it's really almost not worth it so we have to do you know we have to redeem or justify it somehow
0: interesting so like Mm -hmm. that it's it was for something That all the suffering and all this all these horrible things uh, things
1: is it is it what's called teleology like there there should be some always a reason
2: it's teleological i think one of the features of russian cosmism a photo Mm -hmm. of transhumanism that uh you know it's a certain kind of teleology right uh is that we are moving but uh, that we are moving towards a specific goal um although Mm -hmm. it really depends you know if you ask like say an average transhumanist they think that we should be uh, doing something about this actively right whether mm-hmm. you know become scientists or so become science kind of enthusiasts right kind of science organizers that's what they do but if you read somebody like Vernatsky, who is you know he's an odd character in, in in this because he was out of all of the Russian cosmists he was this one serious scientist who's uh, mainstream know,
1: fame right who it, was yeah.
2: extremely well recognized you know in many fields he now he's very popular in the humanities sometimes you know I, I, you know he's re, they relate him to the notion of and that that's debated but yeah but he um came up with some ideas on the side that um say that it's not that we have to do something for example he came with this famously he came with the idea of autotrophy, autotroph, autotrophy of humanity, meaning autotrophic is like plants, right, that uh, feed uh, through photosynthesis. So that means like self-sustaining nutrition, that you don't have to, he wanted, he was saying that, um, you know, they. Sort of the the trophic chain, the feeding chain of like, you know, human eating animals, animals eating animals have to be disrupted. But he was Mm -hmm. not saying that we have to do something about it, that we have, he was saying this is a natural course, right? So for him, this was going to happen no matter what. He saw that we were Mm -hmm. moving. He has this great short article called the Autotrophy of Humanity. Um, That's what he was arguing there. So there are all kinds of interpretations, um, you know, of t- all kinds of teleological motifs in, in in this in this field.
1: Got it. And and I'm curious, anarchist biocosmist, who would be the most uh, sort of uh, known or interesting kind of philosopher to read or?
2: Yeah, there was uh, there was somebody named. I didn't really work on them. There are a few people that I mm-hmm. can, uh, that have worked on them specifically. There's some new stuff that was published, but for example, like Gore um, is somebody well known. That's, that's a pseudonym. Uh, Alexander Svitagor, right? Yeah, Alexander the, Svitagor. Are
0: those, are those the, po- po- like the po- poet, poetics yeah, or something? Yeah, he wrote this uh, poem of yeah.
2: anabiosis. That's quite interesting and quite, and quite radical in, in its, you know, in extremism, um, yeah. Also, they published two journals. So I think they to start with Biocosmos would be interesting to read the journals. I think they're available scanned online. One was called uh, Immortality, Bismirte, and another one was called Biocosmos. And they published a few issues. Uh, and there you have the manifestos, different you know, different articles on what they were doing. Uh, there's, so these, these would be something, uh, something that you could read in the original Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think
0: I've seen them in, in, a, in a collection of um, sort of biocosmist bio-cos- work that was put out by um, Eflux. Um, there was that book that was co- sort of collected some some stuff uh, some years ago. Um, I think I, I came across them then there, yeah. I mean, I think it had like the, the actual... You know, points like we need to re- re- like we need to stop death. We need to resurrect the ancestors. You know, they had like a three-point plan, if I remember correctly, about what to do. That was that <laughs> <laughs> was like very strident. You know, it's fu- the language that they used. Also, it's so funny. It's like it's so. Um, it's so cocksure it's so it's so it's so uh, uh sure of the success of this, and they're sure of their ideas and sure and, and you know it's just it's such a different kind of way of thinking than you know than we we're used to today where everything is sort of questioned and everything is is doubtful you know no one believes anything anymore and the, the, you know back then again, this was like right after the the revolution um they were just the way that they talked about things is just it's, it seems so um i mean it seems so uh Naive, in, in a lot of ways, you know, uh, but and, but also you know, utopian, but but sure of itself in this kind of in this inc- incredibly incredible way.
2: Yeah, but also radical because they were saying that they accepted, say, the you know what they called like the bourgeois ideals of the French Revolution. They accepted the Bolshevik Revolution, but they feel that that's not enough. They feel that yes. that's all great, but we have to remake uh, the real tyranny, that of time and space and self, right? That right. Would, and that would pertain to this. um Yes, they secularized Fedorov, right? But and also they kind of denied the connection, which is funny because it's a lot, a lot of the, a lot of what they're saying comes almost directly from him. But they said, oh. Well, he was kind of a reactionary because he talked about <laughs> brotherhood and we want to talk about uh, you know comradeship for example so it's not really convincing you know the disavowal. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah no it makes sense so, like the, the, when you when you defeat the class enemy and you cre- create a class of society the next big en- enemy enemy is, is
2: death
1: yeah
0: time and death basically right yeah
1: yeah, yeah. interesting but and, and then uh, there's a slogan right it does it come from the Uh, Fedorovian society now the mortals of the earth unite so
2: that comes from um that comes from early Fedorovian um followers who uh, um publish in the journal called um you know a kind of sum is that I mean even the Fedorov that they published was a kind of sum is that right of the time so they published this journal called universal cause right it's um uh, it's it's a it's a Play on Fedorovian and right? The common task, and that's mm-hmm. where they use uh, they use this paraphrase Marxist slogan, right? More mm-hmm. "Mortals of the world unite!" And yeah, they feel it was they felt uh, they felt. I think that this, this was a much more universal cause, right, than just the proletarians. It's not just enough. It's not enough to unite the proletarians. It's a much more universalist idea to unite everybody because mortality. And this is what transhumanists. Um, I kind of also getting into that um, so mortality is something that unites all of us, and that could be uh, that could be s- sort of the way to overcome you know uh, the, the way to overcome some of the differences. Yeah, th- so that's where the slogan appeared. This was before the revolution. Even that was in 1914 oh. journal.
1: So they see themselves as something like beyond class. But then is it really when you read about this sort of uh, the steps we, whatever humanity should take, they're so kind of still far, sort of far away from actually real world problems of majority of people who are not necessarily thinkers who don't just kind of have luxury to like sit and think about what to do with mortality and stuff like that basically doesn't it seem in the end kind of maybe yes utopian but kind of reactionary because it still takes you out of the real struggle and the day-to-day problems and offers you the in a way solution that's not necessarily that not even clear. Is it even a, re, a real one? Is it even reachable? It's like maybe in hundreds of years, maybe I mean, never. people are
0: still like, are still like, you know, struggling to survive in the world, right? Like for the, to get the basic, basic goods necessary for survival, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's no, like, most, yeah,
2: most definitely. And I, I think this is one of the weakest points that they themselves, uh, some of them at least are keen to work on, um, they they do seem to believe in some kind of trickle down, you know, in some kind of tr- trickle down um, transformation right? They would say. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they literally would say something like, "You remember, like when, like when they thought like personal computers or the iPhones were inaccessible? This mm-hmm. is going to be the same as immortality. Of course, the rich are going to get it first. That that's what they're saying. But then everybody will get it. And of course, th- this is something that I disagree <laughs> with, and I've had like many discu- discussions about 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 that. That you know, without changing. This is my personal opinion, right? It's not their opinion. That like without changing the political right. system before." Uh, you know, before these uh, advances, uh, you know, in, like, agent technologies actually happen, it would be, it would be, of course, completely dystopian and a continuation of inequality. And I think Federal, yeah. and, and not that they're necessarily, like, you know, think about class a lot, but they're a lot more subtle in this. They, they think that this is a long, gradual process and that basically we are far from being ready. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. transhumanists want it now.
1: Right. I'm actually curious. Did you watch this movie? I really love it. It's called In Time. Oh yeah, when time Have time, time is currency.
2: It? Yeah. Yeah, time
1: is money. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or even um. Well, oh, no, God, I wanted to mention uh What's the Anil Bloomcamp film about healthcare? Oh, uh, it's Elysium. More it's more like Elysium, which because I think yeah, <laughs> I've
2: seen all of this. I watch a lot of sci-fi, especially related to this project. I probably watched all of this. <laughs>
1: because it's related because I, I thought actually back to what you're saying yeah exactly without changing it feels like political system the way it is now it doesn't matter we're in America but it can't be anywhere else it's going to be like Elysium like once we have some kind of life preserving uh, I don't know um, sort of uh, machine that deals with all diseases once you lie down in it it's who's going to own it like Jeff Bezos I don't know it just doesn't yeah. seem completely irrelevant for the, the ideas of so-called common tasks because it's not going to be common
0: especially I mean it gets into all sorts of other things. It's like with the fact that, you know, again, I don't know how they deal. I don't know how, maybe I'm actually curious to how, you, how what, what you, what you, what you, what kind of discussions you've had with the Federal of, you know, in, in Russia is like, you know, the idea that, you know, there's like natural limits to, development on Earth. You know, Earth is not like an infinite system of resources, right? We're already kind of reaching those limits as we speak now in terms of just, you know, the use of fossil, the fossil fuels and like the exhaust of, the, of those fossil fuels and, you know, the over, you know, fishing of, of the oceans, the over, you know, over, over planting of agriculture all around the world, you know, the you know, clear cutting of forests, all these things to support, you know, this sort of really just expansionist uh, human project essentially that that exists now, you know how does that even fit into uh, uh, the, the the sort of federalist utopia where I guess it, I guess they probably talk about you know the complete management of humanity right because you have to keep limits on everything. But is there even discussions about that? You know, not just class but sort of environmental limits and just the environment how does that fit into anything
2: yeah there's definitely discussions about this I mean some some more kind of crude view would be that some transhumanists believe in techno fixes like geoengineering for example um, so that's some yeah. of them but then you know or like kind of Almost like a parodic view would be that, like, okay, we're gonna destroy the Earth and like just move to other planets. Uh, because Fedor was talking about this, but in a completely different context, he wanted to move in to other planets because he wanted to make the universe conscious. Anyway, he had. A- all kinds of interesting ideas why we should go into space. It was not because we should trash everything here. and Like, you know, not
0: because, like, an Elon Musk fantasy, basically, exactly. where we trash and everything here, and then we move
2: and on like to trash mine. everything. Right, and <laughs> then, yeah. like, mine asteroids. So, that was not. So, these would be kind of like the crude ide- um, ideas, you know, the techno fixes and sort of the space exploration. But in reality, you know, what's interesting about transhumanism? So, there's this one um utopian like very optimistic kind of techno optimistic utopianism but then they have this other kind of almost an underlying currents and if you get deeper into Contemporary transhumanism is definitely there. They call it existential risks and these are the risks risks of extinction of humanity. So climate change is one of them, of course, but then they have many others. They classify them, both both like, you know, European, American and Russian transhumanists. So it's a whole like kind of <laughs> eschatological also current, right? The, the current that thinks about the end. So in that sense, they are very concerned about climate change. They uh, do not have a program, what to do with it, except again, you know, to use some kind of techno fixes. I w- yes. witnessed a funny meeting. I was just in San Francisco for something else for my other project, but I there were, I don't want to name name, but there were a few people who I, not, one was not a transhumanist, but somebody who, you know, interested in technology and concerned about climate change. And another and, and person was a transhumanist who was, uh, you know, who like a classic transhumanist, uh, one of my characters who talks, you know, who Talks, talks about immortality like as soon as possible etc cryonics if that doesn't work and at some point i wanted to meet you know because all of a sudden there were all these russians in san francisco you know that like who was there recently and i introduced them and i thought oh my god like what's going to happen i don't know if they're going just to think that you know the other person is, is insane or you know and they so understood each other very well because the person who was concerned, you know, with climate change, he was saying that we have ten years uh, really left, which is much more drastic than even what IPCC is saying. You know, they're not as apocalyptic as saying we have ten years because of methane. Yeah. So he's really into methane, and he says what we should do is we should we should you know produce a methane-eating bacteria. His research, his articles, and my transhumanist yeah. uh, friend was listening very careful. And all of a sudden he said, Yes, if this is 10 years, that's what we should do because um, this is a different time horizon than I really expected. I thought we had longer. So, you know, there's Mm -hmm. some, so they're definitely thinking about this.
0: I mean, I mean, the, the, yeah, the transhumanist stuff is, and, and just generally, look, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I, I grew up in in San Francisco in Silicon Valley, you know, I went, I, went, I moved to San Francisco uh, from, you know, from the Soviet Union, we came here in 1990, and like, I just, you know, surrounded by this cult of technology, so it's, 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 you know, the transhumanism it is in a way, you know, there's like different shades of it. I mean, it sort of permeates the, the California, you know, per, it permeates everything here in in terms of it, it permeates, you know, shades of it permeate just. Uh, just you know kind of popular society or popular culture um the you know and the general belief in that we can all these problems that are caused by technology right are are gonna be able to we're gonna be able to solve them by. Technologizing them even more, you know, just do even more technology on top of technology on top of technology to, and, you know, we'll solve everything. So it's, it's, it doesn't surprise me that people who are already kind of on the radical end of that spectrum, you know, in, in the belief of technology do.
2: Right. Except these two people were Russian, but this is to say that there's yeah. not, you know, drastic like difference between say like Russian and American transhumanisms, there are some differences, but you could see that yeah. there, in a lot of ways, they're thinking to- in the same ways.
0: Yeah. No, it makes sense. It's just they're they're doubling down on the on 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 the utopian sort of promise of technology. Essentially, you know, it's all it's always a doubling down on it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: If I can, if I can say it in that in in that kind of crude way. Um,
1: can I come back? In the beginning, we started talking about it, but before even describing anything about like transhumanism versus posthumanism. So about the posthumanist, is it a purely kind of like the Western concept and? Th- thought that exists more like here or is, is there something like that in russia basically what's your
2: i think it started it's it's it started here you know with uh, uh with you know some with academic uh, philosophy cultural studies um anthropology just people who were thinking about you know the anthropocene in terms of not, mm-hmm. in, not not as a geologic but more like as a you know as as it was adopted in the humanities so it it Definitely does exist in Russia as well, but mostly in academic circles. You know, the Russians in in you know in in the circles of uh, people who read like English and in English and other languages. Mm-hmm. So people do talk about this, right? It's a certain kind of uh, critique of humanism and the role of human in the current crisis. So it's uh, anthropocene is mm-hmm. probably the more like the most immediate sort of field. And this is a huge field, of course, you know, in geography, anthropology, social sciences, humanities right now. So that's where it's originally coming from.
0: You mean the post-human, post-humanism? Post-humanism. Yeah.
2: Post-humanism. As a critique of humanism is thinking, how did we get there? You know, was it the enlightenment that brought us here? You know, right. and this is the kind of Makes critique sense. that transhumanists don't necessarily have right as um yeah
0: yeah because because transhumanism is essentially a kind of a a a, a radical version uh, uh, of humanism right uh it's like taking it to the next level
2: or something yeah that's what i you know there's some people there are some philosophers who are trying to bring the two together you know i've encountered uh people like that you know academic philosophers on the other hand uh from my sort of empiric research uh I find them very different. You know, I agree more with the sociologist of science, and I cite him in my book, Steve Fuller, who said that uh, trans. If um, if if transhumanist, if uh, posthumanist thinks that something to the extent um, that enlightenment has gone too far and is to be blamed, you know, for our current crisis, transhumanism is a kind of hyper enlightenment. They think enlightenment has not gone far enough. Right. So it's an an intensification of humanism, Mm -hmm. right, as opposed to critique of it.
1: Right. It's the same way they, they say kind of like Soviet Union didn't go far enough. The Soviet project is not radical enough, like enlightenment is not radical enough. It's just all of that, but next level kind of.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, but you know, it's interesting because both, you know, both like the capitalist system and sort of the, the Soviet system, they were both, you know, they, were, they both have one thing in in common, you know, which is industrial, the belief in, in in technology and a belief in this kind of industrial society to. I mean so there's a lot of so I'm just curious like is 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 like I mean I don't know just to just to I think maybe I'm kind of repeating myself here but I just to look at it from some some another angle here is do you, do you see this, this transhumanism as a kind of an industrial religion of the industrial age or is like the kind of um since you know you you, your stu- you you I mean your study of religion uh kind of fits into this is it is it is is it a religious uh movement and is it connected to the industrial revolution
2: I think it's definitely connected to the Industrial Revolution, and even off, is, right? So in that sense, yes. And um, yeah. the religion thing, you know, it's a big question. And there's uh, there are some scholars who study transhumanism who firmly believe that it's a religion, right? Uh, these are mostly people coming from religious studies. Uh, myself and a few other anthropologists who study transhumanism, we don't really think that it's a religion and we don't really think it's necessarily the most productive question about transhumanism yes it shares certain traits with religion but it shares them in the same way as marxism shares certain traits with, with religion right so anything could be called a religion right any political ideology uh transhumanism but um to me um, it's you know it's, even that it, it might share some traits like in the same sense that any ideology might might do. Um, it's it's not a religion because it's you know it's quite different from religion.
0: Well, actually, how, how is it different? You know, what's, what are the mar, ho, marks of, of, of uh, you know, what are the, some of the things that it doesn't, what are some of the things about it that disqualify it from Right.
2: Being- well, first of all, you know, transhumanists, as an anthropologist, I like to follow, you know, my subjects so you know, my interlocutors, as we say. Most of them, not every single person, right? And this, again... I'm talking about transhumanists, not Fedorovians. That's totally separate. Um, so most of them are very secular, you know, and and they really, you know, they're probably, the, especially cryonics uh, movement, they're probably the most uh, secularized, or you know militantly atheist movement i encountered in russia when i was doing this work you know i haven't worked uh, with carnists in the us so i don't know what their belief is uh what their beliefs are so and i have to believe them right if they tell me that they really you know that uh, that they uh, don't believe in the soul they don't believe and again they're different they're different like kind of undercurrents and i also you know i also covered some other ones which is the minority current that i'm more like kind of spiritually incorporate some of the new age beliefs so that exists mm-hmm. as well but your uh general transhumanism transhumanist story is a, a kind of very secularist very rational very um you know on um really like not a believer and again you could call them believers because they do take this uh leap of faith right um because what they're saying yes the science is not there yet but it's it is going to be there so you could say that that's a leap of faith that they do so in that sense yeah. you know but again a lot of people you, you know make make this make various leaps of Base, right, including political ideology, all kinds of political ideologies.
0: Of course, yeah. I mean, you can call everything. Most things are religion in that sense. Yeah. Uh, most, most of our beliefs that aren't that based. That's why I to call yeah.
2: everything religion is not necessarily like the most illuminating uh, way to understand these phenomena.
0: Yeah, well, because I guess my, the reason why I, I, I kind of go there, and I, maybe it's just it's a, is it just because of the utopian quality of it, you know, the leap of faith, not just but also just the, the and the connecting to some kind of ideal perfect world that will sort of come come a result of it.
1: But also, I wonder if that's like part of the profession, the kind of like you anthropologists and it's part of your this belief system is part of your profession. Because we recently, in been a few months, I guess we talked to Alexey Urchak, and and also he was arguing that Bolsheviks uh, in no way are like a religious. Kind of group, yeah. which I kind of tend to, what tend to think that they kind of war. So in, in the same way he would, the way the way you talking about Fedor Robinson, the Transhumanists, that you kind of describe like the rational element, the sort of the secular secularism and all that stuff. Um, so I guess it's also part of the kind of anthropological discipline to look at certain things under. I imagine, under this angle.
2: Yeah, it's been suggested, you know, that um, Bolsheviks were like a messianic cult. And Mm -hmm. maybe they do have some traits of messianism, as do transhumanism, as do other political Mm -hmm. movements, you know, both left and right wing utopias, right? They all have this uh, messianic quality. Uh, mm-hmm. but there was this whole strain of kind of sovietology right to to call you know to compare communism to religions they said well look mm-hmm. you know it's uh it's just really a religion they have like sacred symbols they have rituals <laughs> they have <laughs> right they have, they, have they have Lenin they have Lenin. they have like red corners you know which is like replaces the the corner where the mm-hmm. actual, the actual red corner where the icon was so all of this <laughs> oh, all of this means yeah. that it's a religion but you know you you know religion religion you know religion is actually very hard to define you know I used to yes. I teach it less now but I used to teach like a course in anthropology of religion the first class I would ask undergraduates to write what they think religion is, like to provide a definition, and they would be just multiples. And in the end, you know, we would <laughs> frustratingly come to the conclusion that religion is very hard to define, right? It's Maybe you could provide like a cluster definition of some traits that a lot of religions have, but it's hard yeah. to define it. And that's why it's even harder to take a social movement like transhumanism or a political movement, yeah. um, you know, like Marxism or Bolshevism and claim that it's a religion when we don't even know right. what religion is. Religion has many facets. It's about community. It's not just about belief, right? That's a very kind of Protestant yep. understanding of religion, right? It has, uh, it, it has a communal aspect It has, uh, you know, it has like a narratives uh, sort of, uh, you know, how do we all get there? It has a certain eschatology. What's going to, where are we going? You know, it has the cosmic connection. It has, um a certain like you, you know like transcendental like feeling that's more about like your like connection you know to the cosmos or something like this so it has all of these things social psychological others so that's why to me it's not the most productive comparison yeah and it
0: it, it also seems like it, it this 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 kind of this different diff, trying to differentiate religion from like other more rational parts of, you know, human life and society is, is itself like a, a very kind of rationalist or like enlightenment kind of um, d- definition, you know? Because it's like you're trying to actually create like the other, right? Which is, you know, like the, the classic version of that is in America, it's like the religion of church and state, you know, it's like this kind of it's a you know it's a very the religion of church and state yeah the the, the, the division that they're they're not they're they're like these two separate things you know like that the government is separate from religious institutions and yeah I mean it can be sort of very it can be sort of formally true but then you know like as soon as you lift you know right it peeled back a little bit of where it's actually going on. You see how you know religion seeps into so many different things uh, in the society and
2: right. And also, you know, there's there's a big scholarship on religion and secularism. How are the two are mutually constitutive? You know, in anthropology, including there's a big literature on secularisms in the plural, right? Because yep. they're not the same. Like this is what's what's considered like secularism here it's not the same or even the church state relationship in the us is different from europe you know they're all like yes. technically secular states but they're all very different and there's very different like a french laicite is different from you know some other kind of secularism so it's all it's it's all you know it, and then there's a scholarship on what religion is right uh you know there's a claim made by religious scholars that it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a late European uh, term, right? Religio, that's a Latin term, means like uh, to connect, right? To connect something, meaning like to connect, to link something yourself possibly, you know, to something larger than mm-hmm. yourself, right? And that other cultures did not even have the word religion, but they, do, they did have something like a phenomenon. So whether they're comparable or not, that's also a big question.
1: Yeah, and I, and I'm curious, as a uh, you know I grew up in Moscow and um and I um kind of actually found out about Fedorov only like and started reading him maybe like five six years ago, but um and I've never been to the um Fedorov's library, which is right the center for Fyodorovs and the Fedorov Society, in Moscow. But uh, from what I understand, do, do, speaking of religions, it's like how did, actually what kind of group of people is that? Uh, I read about Simonova, uh, Solana Simonova who seemed to be like a founder of the library she passed away and now her daughter like took over but overall what kind of people it draws because it's hard for me to actually imagine any of people I grew up around or know or any of my friends doesn't matter what older relatives like being kind of into that so I am like to me it's so like another world in a way so what kind of what is going on there and uh, do they look at themselves as a kind of uh, active, as you say, active Christians, kind of like active <laughs> Russian Orthodox religious group. What, what, yeah? Could could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, um, the space itself is actually very small. It's a few rooms in a uh, district children's library, which is located right. in the south of Moscow, like near Belayaev Station. Mm-hmm. So Semyonova did create it, and she also sort of was instrumental in pulling. You know, once she discovered Todorov for himself, uh, for herself, uh, you know, in the archives, she realized he wasn't republished so she was very instrumental and then her uh, in kind of bringing him out of obscurity and it was only possible to do um in this in the 70s by linking him to Tchaikovsky, right that's where this whole legend um mm-hmm. appeared that like one was a disciple of the other which i don't think is the case but uh mm-hmm. going back to Fedorovians, you know it's a very uh, right and then her one of her daughters she had two daughters and one of them anastasia Gacheva, became a kind of informal, you know, leader. She doesn't like this word, but I'm not sure what word is a good word. But she's a kind of public intellectual who is very well versed both academically and on like a personal level in what's in like a formal exegesis of Fodorov and Russian Cosmism as a kind of philosophical school, so they have reg- they're very active actually. They have regular seminars and they have a very diverse group of people who come. I wouldn't say that everybody who comes there is a Christian. I um, they tend to be uh, slightly older than the transhumanists, but not necessarily, not all of them. So it's a slightly older group. And you and there are a lot of, you know, they're, it's really hard to, to bring them together. They're quite a big contingent of what we call technical intelligentsia. You know, and to me, um, it was... It 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 made sense because that's I think how some of these people came to religion. You know that's how Simonov, um herself, although she was you know she was a humanist, she was a philosopher, a philosopher who studied like French existentialism before she discovered Fyodorov. You know out of um, and um, <laughs> yeah. So but uh, there were there is a certain contingent who came to, to to who came to orthodox Christianity in the Soviet times via Fyodorov. You know, and to me that makes sense because Fedorov uh, rationalized in some sense, although his writing is very opaque, it's poetic, etc. Uh, it's you know, it's steeped in the images of the Trinity and all of these uh, you know Christian ideas. But he did rationalize Christianity somewhat, so I feel like that for a technical person, it was easier to uh, embrace Christianity uh, via Fedorov, right? Some of these people. So that's one contingent. Then there's other contingents. There are scientists who are interested and, in, you know, uh, there are all kinds of uh, people who actually like practice, uh, who are, you know, uh, physicists or other, uh, other, other scientists um, who, uh, who are just interested in, in Fedorov's philosophy and in Russian cosmism in general. There are historians of science. Uh, There's just a lot, and there are just a lot of, there's some graduate students who are interested or working on something related. Some people work on literature in Fedorov or something else in Fedorov. It's quite a big industry in Russia. You know, there's a study of Russian cosmism and Fedorov. And then there's just some Um, some lay people who are subscribed to their mailing list of Facebook group who find it interesting and they come. Mm -hmm. So they have lectures, they have what I found interesting. They had these slow readings of photograph to me. It was like one of the more fascinating um, exercises that they had. They would just uh, take a paragraph and spend a few hours reading it line by line and trying to go around the room and just decide what, not decide, but discuss what he, what he might have possibly meant by this sentence. So, yeah, so they, that's, uh, this is mostly, you know, this is a group that's mostly based on lecture series, uh, spe- speaker series, they sometimes have transhumanists come over, but it varies, you know, in terms of, in, in terms of political beliefs, religious beliefs, very different, like all over the spectrum, I would say.
1: And I'm curious if you have some insight, because I noticed maybe, again, in the last, maybe like, what, five, six years or so, I noticed there's like, there are like different artists and there's like exhibitions in Europe and in America, like in New York, at least, uh, around Russian cosmism. And um, it seems like people are here all of a sudden fascinated, interested, because it's sort of like related again to sort of, um, I guess, Western transhumanism. But they discovered that Russians had something like this but before them and earlier. I'm like simplifying the narrative, obviously. And. Now there's also like a bit of yeah the more not interest in that and so w- w- do why do you think there's like a weird um I don't know like resurgency again out, outside of Russia not just like for uh, some scientists or graduate students who are into reading further but more in a way I guess a bit more uh, popular culture.
2: I think people find um, not necessarily transhumanism because people, for example, if people who are really into Russian cosmism, they tend right. to dislike, like Anton Vidokli who made several films yeah. maybe, and they published a few things, they are not necessarily into transhumanism as they're into Russian cosmism. So yeah, a lot I of these I people saw. have Russian roots, you know, like Boris Groys wrote about it, and he's in New York. Uh, I, I forget how it, like, who learned who learned about it, from whom somebody is, is there a, one of them learned from it uh, from Kabakov so there was this uh, there was this uh, kind of moment where people got interested in uh, Fyodorov and Russian cosmism, and it became and it spread uh, from efflux to you know uh, to international circles and now a lot of people find um, I because I think you know this is an objectively objective well, objectively subjectively. to me it was <laughs> it's an interesting movements that is you know, deeper than transhumanist itself, because it has, it offers, you know, a different kind of utopianism, right? A different kind mm-hmm. of take. Um, and that's, and that's why I think it's now being, there's now increasing, there's now more and more translations. There's now more and more, um, you know, articles and books com- uh, coming on uh, on it. So that's more, you know, and mostly in the art circle, in, in, the, in, in the art circles, right? Um, in Russia itself, Immortality became popular in the arc circles. There was a um, Ural Biennale a few years ago that was fully devoted to immortality. I think the topic was just like,
1: um, oh, we w- were there by, by, by in Yekaterinburg, but just yeah. accidentally, actually. Yeah, yeah wanted my, to I,
0: had, I had a book reading there. I had a book reading there of my book, and we just were there at the same time, right? Oh, that's yeah. Right. Yeah,
2: yeah. I know some people who want to. That's great. Yeah, so there was, so there's interest in that. But what I also find interesting that that um, there is a religious brand of American transhumanism now, which is a relatively recent phenomena. Um, you know, in the last, I would say, uh, I, I don't want to give a date, but last 10 years, it started appearing because before it was a purely kind of like Silicon Valley, truly libertarian kind of movement. Although there are also American transhumanists who call themselves techno-progressives to distinguish themselves. So this is like the democratic kind of more left wing <laughs> transhumanism that, that also exists here. But what's interesting yes. to me is that at some point there appeared religious transhumanism. For example, there is a church. In Florida, called uh, the Church of Perpetual Life, and they've invented. Um, you know, they they do services there that start with scientific lectures on life extension, for example, and then they do a kind of remembrance ceremony in the even coin the neologism, and the resurrector, Resurrectables. resurrectibles. These are the, the is people in cryonic suspension, so they do the ceremony on YouTube. So it's very, you know, it's uh, um it's been broadcast. Uh, Called Remembrance of the Resurrectables, and the reason I mentioned this church is that church has two uh, prophets, um, and one of them is um, Arthur Clark, and the second uh, person's photo. Arthur C.
0: Clark. <laughs> yeah,
2: so <laughs> Arthur Clark right. and Fotorov are the two prophets um, Whoa, of the church. Awesome. Yeah, and they have their portraits um, and. And so that's another avenue (laughs) how Fedorov is coming, um, you know, is coming to the US. The Russians are
0: taking over, God, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm actually going to go with my Norwegian colleagues Colleague who's studying American, who's writing a book on American transhumanism, we want to do an article on that church because we haven't been there, so this is like a side project for us um, sometime this fall.
0: Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I'm actually just curious, you know, you know, there's like this. Obviously, it's like it's just kind of there's a big culture war right now happening, you know, as we speak in America, um, you know, about about transgender politics, and um, and I'm I'm just curious, you know, how does that how does that fit into Fedorovian thought, I guess, and maybe also you know uh, transhumanist uh, thought. I mean, you know, the idea that people have the power to use technology, right, to sort of alter their own bodies and to sort of modify their own bodies into sort of into into a shape and a form that sort of comports to something that they feel inside. Well, how does that? How does that? How does that fit in? Uh,
2: yeah, I haven't heard specific discussions, but I would I would admit, you know, on on uh, on uh, tr- on say transgender issues, but in general, transhumanists uh, both in the U.S. and in Russia are pretty open-minded about this. You know, a lot of them think we don't even have a body, so it doesn't matter what age <laughs> or what gender you are, right? So this is where you have this Cartesian sort of uh, side of the movement that believes that uh, you know consciousness or whatever. We call you know or mind yeah. or soul. If you use religious language, is somehow separable from the body, and that's why a lot of people yeah. preserve just the brain because they believe that your personality, your consciousness, your mind is. is so you know, and you can somehow live indefinitely in cyberspace, right? The Silicon Valley has probably like 15 startups working in this area. Uh, Right, creation of these avatars that can live independently of the body. So in that sense, it wouldn't matter whether you're like a man or a woman. Yeah, it seems like
0: a small thing, right? In the larger debate, in the larger you know dream that they have. Who cares what do you have? Exactly, you can be anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, So that's interesting. Federovians would be I think a little more conservative but they just in general first they don't believe in some kind of it's called transhumanists uses a term called substrate independent existence right substrate as being your body so they say that our mind or consciousness can be transferred from one substrate such as like the body to say a computer which is another substrate yes. right or flash drive flash drive so right so that's well, so they
1: believe in singularity then yeah in a way yeah
2: yeah. Yeah. Whereas Fedorovians are very much, and this is one of the lines, I even have a table somewhere in my book where I'm trying to like clarify the three positions. One would be <laughs> transhumanist, yeah. and one the kind of more mainstream Russian Orthodox position on, on this. And Fedorovians have a uh, they, first, they, they really don't believe in the in the substrate-independent existence, right? So they criticize this a lot, and not because it's a kind of Cartesian dualism that's a, you know that's that's old and well-worn, but because because body somehow is. Um, was central, right? It's central to mm. Fedorov. He thinks that we do need it, right? We might transform it. We might learn how to transform it to be autotrophic, how to how? but to them, it's really important because that's your link to the ancestors, right? So, you, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't give that's you a specific recipe how the resurrection would happen, but somehow you are using your own body as this link, right, to your parents, to the, to the kinship line, yeah. etc. So, I would believe, so I would, so they're really, uh, they are much more concerned with the body.
0: Interesting. And they believe in essentially a kind of embodied reality or an embodied existence where it's inseparable. Um, your, your your life is inseparable from the from the you know from the body that you live in that is you that's kind of their position on it
2: that's their position yeah because they think your bodies they talk about your body as a kind of an imprint of you know the of like ancestral memories and just to get rid of it all altogether for them it's just not possible on both you know like in, on on both the kind of the kind of philosophical level that they believe in
0: is there like a religious aspect to it which is like we're sort of created in the, in the image of you know of 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 the creator or something, so we can't like really fully modify, you know, what we look like, or is, is that not part of it?
2: I mean, it's part of it. I it's part of it. I think in just in general in Christianity, and it's part of it in Orthodox Christianity. Although there are f- a few doctrines in Orthodox Christianity, such as for example theosis, becoming more godlike, right? That is very compatible with both Fedorovianism and um, and transhumanism right but on the other hand you know there's some kind of materialism right the idea that body and matter in general is important but it's also you know it gets complicated because they do think that it's important but on the other hand they want some kind of transformation right they want to transform matter to almost this other level the body, the you know religious term would be transfiguration right so it's, going be about, mm-hmm. it's going to be a body but it's going to be different kind of body so it's really um it's it's quite complicated on this level
0: interesting yeah if you um, go deeper well, into this it's, it's yeah. getting
2: more and more complicated you know Fedorov believed that all matter should be given some kind of conscious right that's what his belief about wow. nature he didn't believe in Mastering nature, transformation of nature, which is more mm-hmm. of a Soviet project and you know many other mm-hmm. uh, many other kind of progressive technological projects. He believed that nature should be regulated, right? And that's his term, regulation. That's a, and it has a very specific meaning. Regulating that it has to become conscious. He felt that all our problems with nature, like hurricanes, is that nature just does these things because it's not conscious, right? So it's it's a real... <laughs> that's pretty <Wow>. funny. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, he, that's
0: kind of so you can talk to it. You can talk to it, and be like, "Hey, why do you why don't don't do that, Hurricane?"
2: Well, yeah, like, there's well, a lot it's, of it's, people, yeah. He believes that all matter, you know, in the universe had to yeah. be uplifted to some kind of higher state, and whether the state of material or immaterial, it it's really depends that's on how you read him, and that's why reading a further is such an involved, is such an involved
1: procedure. Very dense, yeah. I and have.
2: there could be so many different interpretations, and that's why he's yeah. taken over in so many different circles.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Last question I have. I don't know. It's a bit, I guess, uh, not totally off topic, but about a because you said there was like um a right? The kind of the Russian community. I'm curious, what is what was it like? Because again, it does feel like such a kind of, <laughs> in a way, leisure uh, people pursuit who like don't want to potentially let go of their, I don't know what like of of. of their life of leisure or something of that kind because again they all maybe they do have children and i guess they don't mind um kind of passing on some of the legacy to them which is like the traditional way humans lived for i don't know for a long time just like children's are your legacy and whatever and what's the memory of you what you did is also your legacy blah blah and this is your immortality in a way but then this uh literal way of immortality like achieving immortality of your body and of your consciousness is something i mean at least to me is a kind of foreign and new and also like in a I'm not a um, academic so to me it's immediately connects to some kind of vampire stuff so it's like what do you what do you want it for it's like seems like what to, uh, yeah. only certain people want it it's like you can you become immortal and you exploit your I don't know servants forever
2: yeah, I I think that there, there's definitely people, you know, people in quite a few of them that think exactly like that. You know, they just, yeah. you know, they just want to live forever. So there's uh, you know, they um they're not interested in specifically any kind of like societal transformations, although some some are interested, but they Feel that they have to like not die first and then deal with that, you know, which is <laughs> you know which yeah. is problematic, right? Um, on so many levels. So there's I'll bail like you guys this. out.
0: Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll help you out as soon as I get mine. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. There yeah. is people who believe in the trickle down. I'll that come back for from, you.
0: I'll come back for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Sorry, yeah. So
2: that it will like happen, but <laughs> you know, for first it, they basically don't see problem that it would be the wealthy, you know, because we already have that right there are the clinics or procedures so there's exactly gonna, there's already like inequality in on a bodily mm-hmm. level um, you know and once certain technologies get approved which are still experimental this is going to happen very fast the, the inequality will uh, will deepen mm-hmm. um, the, Right. But on the other hand, right, you have the Fedorovians, or Fedorov himself, right, for whom this was not really a matter of personal immortality. It's, first of all, a redemption project. And second, he believed that it's actually kind of the other way around. He talked about problems, you know, social problems like hunger, like wars. uh, uh, And he believed the First, resurrecting the ancestors, then achieving the mortality would actually resolve these problems, not vice versa. So, he um, believed it's because we are in this kind of transitional, immature, almost like a teenage state of as as humans, that um, that, and that because we don't, um, you know, and because we are separated from the ancestors uh, by this like sharp break, which is death, uh, it's only uh, doing this first uh, is. Would kind of naturally resolve these other social problems. So it's a different, you know, it's a it, but it's a much more long term project, you know. And, mm-hmm. and that case I'm describing, you know, in my in 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 um my book, when the leader of the Fedorovian movement again, leader, you know, anyway, um, so, who, who did not want to be a cryo patient, right? She didn't want to be cryonized because uh, even for free that they offered, because he felt she felt like she would doesn't mind waiting, you know, whether she, it's just not the time, right? Because they believe that this should be done at the same time for everyone. Everyone, And once, uh, certain transformations, once we're ready, once we're not, no longer in this teenage state.
1: This is such a weird logical leap, like that that will solve societal ills. So bizarre, because like now we live maybe in even darker times, you know, speaking socially, politically, environmentally, and it feels like how it will solve anything. It feels like it's only going to be more entrenched. If certain people (laughs) live forever, it just, I don't know, that's um, maybe back in the day, it was easier to make that connection, that it will make things better. well, if
2: certain people, or see, that's the key, right? That's uh, because it's only available right now. Well, right now it's not available to anybody, but if it did, Mm -hmm. if there was some kind of breakthrough in, say, biology of agent, which is the closest Mm -hmm. scientific discipline that deals with trying to understand what agent actually is, it's not going to be available to everyone, right? And some people, including some scientists I work with, and some transhumanists, believe that it cannot even be achieved commercially, you know, that it should be like an open source project. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is not what's happening. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but you know, but it's funny the open source. You know, just my my own little uh, experience with um, you know with the the world of um, Silicon Valley and um, you know these co- computer companies. Open source, you know, sounds nice. It's, anyone can use it, but the open the open source is usually maintained by corporations. They pay the people to to work on those projects and to and, and they do it for themselves first and foremost. Uh, that's what the open source thing is uh, sort of um, is, is frequently all about. You know, it's not like some kind of because you know, even if the technolo- technology is open source, who has the resources to bring it into into existence, right? Yeah, uh, yeah To create that's a good these point. create these very costly exp- technologies, I'm I'm sure. You know, it's not yeah. like a something but they even, could probably build uh, to, in your backyard yeah, but with to the, me even yeah. if
1: you go with all this open source or it's affordable or accessible to everyone once we're there scientifically speaking it just to me I, the connection of we're all there and all of a sudden society is transformed into non-exploitative yeah. some sort of like I mean paradise so to speak is a bizarre leap I don't yes. see like how without any again I read for a little bit without any political struggle or, or, or structures or some sort of ideas nothing just like Spiritual. the fact of yeah. that everyone, let's say everyone, not just Jeff Bezos, not just the rich, that everyone can live forever, immediately transforms us as humans into some sort yeah. of other, almost other species in a way. I don't understand why.
0: Actually, that's another thing. It's, you know, like, I think this is something that you actually brought up, Eugenia. Um You know, it's like, if you look at, I don't know, like, I don't know, uh, the stories that our society tells, you know, to itself about this stuff, about immortality, it usually has a negative connotation. I mean, vampires being like the first, you know, uh, the most obvious sort of and they're uh,
1: bored. <laughs> they're bored, you know, and
0: it's not like they're like cursed in a way, right? Yeah. It's a, it's seen as like a blessing on some level, but it's a curse. And all, always, you know, the the vampire sort of mythology as it's evolved is a, is a mythology of of ruling class, right? Of of ex- an exploitation. Yeah, but
1: you can say they're bored cuz they're also lonely, but if all of them, <laughs> Well, but you know. I mean they
0: have their own societies or whatever. Right. But I'm just but just generally it's it's interesting because you know, you have this sort of like do, split screen kind of thing where on the one hand everyone wants to there's this uh, this hope placed in you know life extension technologies and maybe immortality on the other hand there's sort of more deeper and older stories that society tells itself and mythologies you know uh eternal life is is like you know part condemnation um and sort of that's a natural story no one can really no one you know it's not like questioned you know it's like that's it seems, it right. seems like a normal it's a normal thing for us to think about it that way immortality is part condemnation a curse and part you know a blessing yeah. as well um
2: yeah for sure yeah, so, sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, no, I just
0: wanted to like what you think about that, and what you know, if, if these people ever think of uh, the the dark side of this. I mean, it's like as I get older, I don't know, like you know, again when I was maybe in my twenties, uh, and maybe even my thirties, a little bit, I, it was still hard for me to c- consider death. You know, as like a good thing, but as I as I'm like you know, I you know I'm in my forties now, and like I like i it's it's a thought that enters my mind like it's not so bad you know like it's like you get tired you know from this stuff it's like it's like it's not seen i'm not like ready to die but it's not seen as like something that is unthinkable or something that is i mean you could i could almost see it as as a as like as a as a pleasant as a pleasant um uh as a pleasant event, you know, like I can see the finality of things. I can see sort of the, the, you know, the, the, the cyclical nature of people's lives and the fi- finite, finite nature of our, of our lives and, and like, don't see it as such a bad thing anymore, you know, or something to struggle against. Um, and so like, I just, you know, so just, there's this, the, the, does that ever like, I don't know. It's like, uh, it, there's just so much utopian thinking and like uh, excitement about, you know, eternal life. It's like, but like, it's not. Are we even, are we even, is that even a a good thing? You know, forget all the environmental, you know, impacts and all that other stuff, but just generally from like the experience of it.
2: I've heard transhumanists discuss it a lot because there's literally no positive portrayals of secular immortality in, you know, Mm -hmm. literature, for example, you know, story with vampires, but almost every other science fiction uh, that deals with. Unless it's written by transhumanists themselves. There's like right. a small niche uh, all of that literature, but in Russian. Right, and remember, English,
1: g- but- what is it, guys? Sorry to interrupt. I'm trying to remember as a kid, I read Golova Professor Dovel uh life yeah Belief, life right right yeah right. yeah i mean it's always very i mean if not dark it's very questionable how enjoyable no, it's, any yeah, of this it's, is
2: it's very dystopian almost all the shows as well there's a lot of sci-fi shows about immortality or at least about you know digital like uploads they're all kind of dystopian in some sense and yeah so transhumanists definitely like question you know they have their own answers that you know that uh why is that is the case some of them just uh, think it's a certain denial since we can't have it let's just say we don't want it you know so if they if it was here, is that nobody would say no that's usually like what they what they would tell you they would tell you right um, Yeah. But yeah, it's like- What about
0: suicide? Yeah, why do people commit suicide? You, you know, like people give up, give up, you know, very, very consciously, like, give up their life, right? And, and people who are not even, you know, maybe that's you know, physically suffering in the sense that they, they might be well off and they might have everything going well. Yeah, wealthy, you know, they might be famous, you know, like, um, it's just, it's, there's like all these other, you know, counter um, examples, I guess, of like people, you know, giving up on life voluntarily,
2: yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And again, transhumanists do talk about this, but they think or oh, they talk about, you know, they would talk about like, S- Steve Jobs, who like, didn't do some medical procedure on time, yeah. I forgot what he did, like, uh, you know,
1: f- he didn't deliver transplants, he, yeah. he
0: waited too long, yeah, too long. So they, you
2: know, they, they, they do talk about suicide. And they feel like it's, it's something it's, it's like, in, you know, social science, like suicide was sometimes was viewed as like, society, societal failure, like the idea that yeah. society fails to provide meaning um so they viewed it as like almost like a psychopharmacological problem you know that could be mm. like resolved with antidepressants or some kind of thing right if it existed like some yeah. kind of uh brain so they do believe that there's this will in you know again this is just uh that's what they that's what you know they really believe it that there is this uh uh will to live right um as like the natural state of course that's like highly debatable right that yes. suicide is an aberration versus the norm um so yeah that's yeah. what that that's what they would argue actually no yeah just,
0: the, these yeah they don't really want to deal with it
2: yeah yeah they basically think it's a it's a kind of denial as well and yeah and yeah we were just talking yeah. about um i was just at um in california and meeting some of them and we were talking again how like there's no uh Good sci fi, recent sci fi that deals with immortality in any kind of positive way. You know, it's all Black Mirror dystopia. And they thought, oh no, the, like this. I don't know if you've seen this, like Amazon Prime show upload. It's a kind, it's a kind of stupid comedy, but they think that was uh, I, I,
0: I saw a couple episodes, it's, uh, but, it, yeah, a couple, but it wasn't, though. It was pretty depressing, you know? It it's like, it was completely yeah, just depressing
2: so. to me. And they said, no, no, you haven't seen the second season. You have to see the second season. So, <laughs> so I came and back and to, then the
0: third, and the fourth, and the eighth, and the tenth, and the one thousandth season, you know, because it's cause it goes on forever. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because to me, yeah. it was like very critical. I mean, it's it's light and it's a comedy. It's not Black like Mirror, but it was very critical. It, it, so I did see the second season, and I still don't think it's a positive so, wow So they're even reading know?
0: it wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's funny. I mean, I can just imagine like living for eternity in like in Twitter. You know, it's just like. And not being able to kill yourself, you know, because you're just—it's yeah, just wow! It's what a, what a, what a nightmare. Do,
1: do you feel again thinking of this immortality kind of as a very valuable thing? It it feels to me, but I'm not a like an academic who studied religions that uh, that it's kind of like a very again uh, thing that can exist in Christian cultures because, um, you know, do you know anything like that in um, you know Eastern? religions or or Islam or anything like that because you uh, again even what what I know you would think like in Japan there's like a whole cult of in a way uh, not entirely but of death but you know path of a warrior an idea of how like the end of life is as or the way you end your life uh, is as meaningful and should be as purposeful as in a way your life and it's all one big uh, kind of wholesome thing in a way So the end is part of the living In a way or the death is part of life um, If if I make sense So so do you think it's truly just a Christian thing Or do you know, do you know or heard of any Other um, like project Like ideas like that um, in other cultures throughout, throughout history
2: Yeah you know it's an interesting question I unfortunately really don't know uh, As much or any or really That much about Islam and I would be Really interested to find out I do I did study Buddhist before mm-hmm. professionally and they of course Fedorov by the way really hated Buddhism <laughs> it was like the of, <laughs> of everything <laughs> of, for him he was very informed about it he read everything that was available but yeah Buddhism found a different solution to this right they it's the non-being it's an alternative solution mm-hmm. it's the exit right it's like some kind of right. exit of the circle of reincarnation and that's right. the goal so um so yeah, but I would be.
1: Fodor so, didn't like it because it's well, their way too passive, right? Accepting of no, faith and everything, opposite right? Because
2: they choose the non-being. He just thought it was dangerous. I like, you know, like philosophically, <laughs> you know. Because um, the goal
0: of life is to not exist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah not right? exist. Yeah. That's
2: the like that's the opposite of everything that Fedorov believed in. So he was, um, yeah, he was constantly critiquing, critiquing it. For me, it was funny to read it after like working on Buddhism for so much. Um, So yeah, but (laughs) but they did they did envision you know um, they did envision an alternative solution to suffering provided by death among other things right because remember Mm -hmm. the Buddha saw four things you know he's I'm forgetting these are like the the, the poverty like disease and 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 death right and they were trying the the four noble truths right and they were trying to find some kind of solution that said right I would be interested. to see how contemporary cultures, you know, in Japan, for example, or China, you know, whether there is some kind of I'm I, I think there there there's some sort of, you know, secular transhumanism in all of the in all of these places, but I don't know if they are related to, you know, to anything religious in particular. You know, with Christianity mm-hmm. it's um, it's interesting because they have promised the afterlife, right? It was the good news in right? right. the gospel that there's no death. It's just it comes, you know, that was actually like even, you know, some Russian philosophers like Berdyayev, he sort of loved Fodor, but he critiqued him on the most important point. He said, well, he didn't understand the mystical meaning of death. Of course, you, immortality is great, but you have to die first and further would not agree with that you know <laughs> so he, said he, did, right, he misunderstood right. this crucial
1: point right so you <laughs> i can I, I can see yeah I, I can that's see pretty like funny that actually that day you
0: already already yeah 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 it yeah. already yeah. exists so, yeah. I, so i wouldn't say <laughs> yeah.
2: think that it's in crescendo but to some ex you know to some extent it might be embedded with the idea of you know is being godlike with with ideas that matter can be spiritual, right, there, there's uh-huh. even like a term in recent, like spirit bearing, like, right, that the matter could be as holy as spirit, so, you know, so maybe there's something, you know, in Christianity, especially Orthodox, that could have led to that, although I don't, again, I don't think that, you know, contemporary immortality movements are necessarily like religious movements. Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah so i would love to find out more about you know other types of transhumanisms
1: mm-hmm.
0: all right okay well um uh, maybe you know that's a good note to end on i think you know uh, a note of hopefulness and uh, the more inquiry um but <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks yeah. for talking to us that was a great it was a great conversation i appreciate um appreciate it
1: yeah I think. yeah thanks so much for having me yeah thank you